When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to First Time Dads. I'm Richard Innes. And I'm Steve Mile. Uh, and today we've got two guests with us here to talk about a subject which a lot of men understandably find extremely difficult to talk about, but also is something that really needs to be spoken about a bit more publicly, we, we both believe. So um, hence why these two guys are here with us. Yes, today uh, we'd like to welcome our guests, Niall and Bruce. Um, and we're going to have a chat about um, stillbirth. Um, Niall and Bruce have both kindly agreed to talk to us about their own experiences Um, they feature in a forthcoming documentary uh, called Child of Mine which is on Channel 4 on Thursday night Um, thanks for coming in guys pleasure Niall do you want to start off and tell us a little bit about you know why how you found yourself in the situation of talking to me to me and Rich really no problem well it's I guess like just gone two years ago uh, myself and my wife expecting our first child uh, gone, gone through the usual scans, uh, the usual kind of things that we all all go t- through. Um, our child had been measuring slightly small at the time, but no kind of cause for concern. And then uh, we went in for what was a forty-one week scan, just to you know check everything was okay. And then at that point, the uh, midwife who was in charge recommended that we kind of go away for the day and come back the next day and schedule an induction. So this was on a Wednesday and kind of went home, just, you know, obviously very excited, expecting yeah, to have yeah. a, a little one coming along and felt little kicks that evening. And then because we were scheduling that, I actually went into work and just, uh, you know, waited on the call from Fiona, my wife, just to say that, you know, we're going in, got that about 10 o'clock, rushed home, the fastest ever cab journey, I think, got back. <laughs> she was already feeling a bit of pain. So we were wondering, well, it's probably just those natural things of contractions. So I went into the hospital, got there about 10, saw a midwife about 10.30, and she was a really experienced midwife and just started to do some, um, just to put, you know, the, the kind of thing that they put on just to me- measure kind of heartbeat, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there was no noise. So it's obviously your, your worst feeling at the time, and, you know, you because of the kind of midwife she was and, you know, her experience, she said she was going for another opinion, unfortunately, their second opinion was same, and then we went in and had a scan. And at that point, obviously, we were kind of had the worst. Uh, but uh, basically, we were, you know, told by at that scan that uh, the baby didn't have a heartbeat. Mm. So this was uh, kind of ten thirty in the morning. Um, obviously, as you can imagine, the wor- worst news you can hear in your life. Uh, we did kind of brought into a room, the kind of you know broke down in tears kind of then have to try and like, ring up your families who obviously know that your your situation so that, yeah, yeah it's it, when that's actually something yeah. afterwards that we yeah. kind of found out is like yeah my wife Fiona rang her mom and she was in the car and actually had to pull over and basically was sat in the car for like 10-15 minutes not knowing what to do so uh, you can imagine mm. that part so yeah. we're then kind of part as you know the hospital unfortunately as you learn later have experience in these kind of things so we were brought to a room never um 
saw any expectant mothers, never had any kind of baby cries or anything. And then because of how late it was and, you know, ideally so we could have children in the future, they advised that Fiona needed to give birth. So she got in kind of induced and went through all that piece. And it was then, you know, obviously a really, really hard time for us. But it's kind of strange. It kind of concentrates your mind because obviously there's something there that you have to kind of you know support Fiona, my yeah, wife, through that yeah. kind of situation. So it was about I think three thirty in the, that next morning. So nearly like fifteen hours later, that Fiona gave birth to our our baby and baby daughter, and we called her Matilda. Mm. Um, obviously, because of, of the timing of it, she was uh, she was uh, you know big enough, and she was uh, as the midwife put it, she was still kind of fresh. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was basically because we've gone through all that at that point, uh, Fiona went away to have some surgery just to yeah. you know, fix her up after giving birth. And I just collapsed, just yeah. exhaustion. Obviously, yeah. your mind is concentrated at that point. And then obviously, I think the next day we were, uh, Matilda was brought into us and we held her. And yeah, it was obviously the kind of the worst experience of our lives and then the rest of our families my family's from Dublin from Ireland and they came over that that day and then Fiona's parents came down and we kind of had a very you know it was good for us because the hospital helped us through some kind of grieving process got us on that road very quickly but yeah very uh, obviously you can imagine very tough situation Mm. Mm. it's just that whole business of going back to the hospital your description has taken me back just to going as a as a dad yeah and and, and a, a bit of me's gone oh yeah yeah i had my son and how wonderful and then you know to have not had to have that n- not have that experience yeah. having mm. come on that journey yeah. so far and have no cl- clue because i mean i i've got friends who you know they they give the the old 12 week don't yeah. say anything before yeah, 12 exactly. week and yeah. we, i'm sure you have as well rich got friends that have not got as far as 12 weeks and a, a, yes. a, a you know baby hasn't uh, hasn't survived but to go the full term yeah. yeah which it is isn't it yeah um and it's happening such as fast because you said the day before the the scan yeah. was fine scan was fine so, i think they you know i think maybe some of the measurements were getting a bit slow right. so that's what they were saying all right we'll ideally kind of come in the next day because you know it's getting to that situation where mm. you want to uh, deliver sooner rather than later but the, you know we didn't have any major concern after that that you know anything was changing and like Do you know I the said, thing that's that's picked that i keep coming back to in my mind is what you were describing there about when the heartbeat couldn't be found initially and i i have a very vivid memory of when my child when my boy was born and we first went in now it turned out because he's a wriggly little sod and yeah he still is now 18 yeah. months on you know he's a mm. He's a bit of a handful, to say the least. <laughs> but anyway, they, it turned out that the midwife couldn't get the heartbeat initially because he was moving around in the yeah. room so much. Yeah, yeah. But I still remember to this day the look that my wife and I gave each you other because that. it yeah. was, I'm talking literally five seconds. Hmm. Five or six seconds where the midwife was like, ooh, and she was moving the thing around, ooh. And five or six seconds. Yeah. And our eyes caught immediately, and there was panic for yeah. both of us. Hmm. Yeah. So when you were describing that, knowing what the outcome was for you guys, that kind of made me feel sick because I took it took me to that it took me to that point of thinking of those five or six seconds yeah, yeah, and yeah. imagining if that had just carried on and on and on and, and exactly that, that had just ex- extended. Yeah, yeah, you're, as you say, like those first five seconds, you're like, okay, you know, just like you say, maybe just struggle a little bit to yeah. find it, and then obviously that becomes five becomes ten, then it becomes yeah. thirty, then it becomes a minute, and then yeah. obviously 
you know, you start to grip each other's hands a bit tighter. Mm. And then, unfortunately, all those t- horrible thoughts go through your head, which you can't help, them, you know, in, in the situation. Yeah. Bruce, what, what was your experience? Um, well, we lost Ruby at 26 weeks and five days. Um, and Vicky just felt she was only in the first couple of weeks of movement. Um, so when we, she didn't really know about what to look for and how to like count kicks and things like that. So it was a few days she was just a bit more concerned than usual. And, was, and I just said, look, let's just go to the hospital and get a scan and get it checked out mm. if you're that concerned. This was over on like a Saturday. So we went in on the Monday morning thinking it's all going to be all right. You know, you, you'd ne- you never even enter you don't, your mind. No one expects the worst. Yeah. No, no exactly. you never do. And was she and the one that was worrying and you were the one saying, no, no, I'm well, sure it's yeah, fine. I'm she sure was it's physically fine. feeling yeah. the kicks. I, yeah. I can't feel anything. So she was the one that was worrying. I was still, if I, may, if I maybe knew about stillbirth, then I maybe yeah. would have been a bit more worried and thought, you know, maybe we should get there a bit sooner. I don't think it would have, it would have mattered in our case in the end. So we went there on a the Monday morning and they were... Uh, midwife checking for a heartbeat um, they actually I remember now that when I look think back they uh, I, you could hear like the monitor can't you when they mm. do it and, you, and then we thought they found a heartbeat but it was actually Vicky's heartbeat that they could hear so even so then that just added a bit to yeah. it oh, she's a bit more relaxed and then she was like I'm just going to go and get a second opinion because I can't find it and maybe the baby's sitting back or whatever and then another midwife came in looking again and uh Again, couldn't find it, and at that point, you're still you're still hopeful. Yeah, you're still yeah, like, oh, maybe it's just can't I can't it. find it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was very even at that point. I thought, oh, just you know, scan, we'll, we'll find it. You become we'll blasé about the n- amount of monitoring going Absolutely, on. Don't you think, yeah, you, know, you, don't even you think, just yeah. never again. Like a 20 week scan was normal. She was no, she wasn't high risk, no smoking, no, no nothing like that. So there's no concern again, hmm. um, even though it was quite early on still. And then you could just. I got the feeling when the next midwife came in to, or yeah, to do the scan, um, you could just tell in her face, I just thought maybe the second midwife, I said, it's not looking good. And probably within 30 seconds, she just looked at us and, and that was it. There's, there's no heartbeat and just in a split second, your life just changes completely. And uh, we just... Start, it's, it's, it's a bit of a blur because you're just yeah. completely lost and in this feeling of what's going on we obviously cried and and it all happened so quickly like that week just went super quick for me have you because I've watched the, the documentary it, it's it's uh, it's a very intense watch um, and it's very good I recommend it to anyone to watch but have you watched it back because in the documentary we see you I have going it, yeah. through that process in a way that we don't yeah no because no. it's happened prior to the, the f- well yeah made. i mean we when we found out we had to go in they gave us the option again they suggested that you give birth naturally because you know it's, it's better for the future for, for vicky mm. so they gave her a tablet and we had to come back the next day when she started yeah um so you have to go home at that point we went home at that point um what's that like to be able because i had was, always just assumed that you would be okay again, we need to deal with no, the situation as soon, as soon as we got home you're like, we've got to ring people now. So, and that's the hardest thing. You just, you you put your phone to your ear and as soon as you hear a voice, that's it. You just break down yeah, straight away exactly. and you yeah. try and tell them and you're just like, 
I remember I just she's gone so like Ruby's gone and they're like what do you mean she's gone and they've obviously no one's expecting it it's just like we've lost her and then everyone's just it's just massive shock yeah. so you go through the process of telling people Vicky we didn't sleep that night and then go up in the morning went to the hospital and started feeling contractions and then just we were I think Vicky was in labour for 12 hours at 19 minutes past 10 that night and she gave birth to Ruby um, and it was leading up to it like I'd meant to cut the cord and I couldn't I just couldn't cut the cord when it came yeah. to it I was ready to run out the room how did that work did they actually offer did they, did they yeah ask? they said well, do you want to cut the cord it can still like she's still going to come out and you can cut the cord and what do you want to do and then me and Vicky as the day went on we're speaking about things and we're like look we've you know, as hard as it is, you know, this could be the only time, which is the only time we're going to get with her, so let's try and make some memories somehow, and cutting the cord was another memory that every dad gets to do, hopefully, yeah. or get the choice to do. Um, but I couldn't do it, I just, I just, that was it, I was just gone, I broke mm. down, which you'll see in the documentary, and Vicky was so strong, I don't know how, I don't know, I suppose the instinct of a mother takes over in that point, and she I, stays so strong, you know what, I to... skin to skin, and it brought me back in the room, and then all of a sudden, for... For me, for the 30 seconds, I just, I, I mean, I've, obviously I'm a dad and feel like a dad, yeah. but I had that incredible moment with, with Ruby where I was just, I didn't even, it didn't feel like she wasn't there because mm. she was there, mm. but obviously she wasn't breathing. I so. wanted to ask you, you mentioned about, you know, the strength that your, your wife had there um, to go through everything. I think stillbirth is obviously, I, I don't have any experience with stillbirth, I don't know anybody that does, not not properly. Um but to me, it feels like a kind of a, when you think about what the woman has to go through physically, in terms of the actual, you know, the, it sounds horrible, but like the logistics of it, what you're actually asking a woman to do, yeah, yeah it's, it's horrendous. So mm. it is considered, I think, very much and understandably so, something that a woman goes through. But do you think that there's an element then, and presumably this is why you guys are both sat here and have done the show, that that met the, the kind of male side of it gets forgotten a little bit because it is so much something that a woman has to actually physically do that the impact maybe on the father maybe is sometimes yeah, I've, forgotten. You struggled a lot, I think, Bruce, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, I struggled. At, at, I broke down more at, at the birth and then after that it was kind of like, like Niall said, I was trying to look after Vicky and, I mean, everyone's different. I thought I was a strong man and could just get on with it and then my way of getting on with it and dealing with the grief or the trauma was just to try and get back into normal life as well as I could and Vicky wasn't and then I can I just wanted Vicky to feel like me and just get on with things even though she couldn't in the end and I found it hard and hard to be around and then I just I couldn't cope anymore and obviously saw a counsellor soon after which I'm so happy I did because I don't. I wasn't processing anything properly. So, did it come to a head? Did it come to a point where was it Vicky or yourself where you said, "Actually, no, I need. I, I'm not dealing with this. I need to deal with this." Um, we didn't. No, I mean, I didn't really have that sort of conversation with Vicky. I just, I couldn't really be around her. As shocking as that sounds, because you know you should be there to support your partner. Mm. But unfortunately, I just couldn't be around her grief and trauma at that point because I was in a totally different headspace yeah. to her, which I have massive guilt about now and. You know, I wish I was there through, you know, mm. this was about 10 days after Ruby mm. that we started to go our separate ways. Um, and looking back now, I mean, if it ever happened again, it's just, I, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd know how mm. to process and deal with my emotions probably a bit more. So, um, you and Vicky still apart? No, no, we're, we're back together right. now and we're really happy and back to where we were before Ruby. Good. Thank God. So, 
you know, she she kind of took me back, let's say. Yeah. And and you know what? She was my massive strength when probably about two, three months afterwards, I was in Spain, my brother, because he lives there. And I just, out of nowhere, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And, you know, my cancer said, you know, if you don't deal with your grief now, it's going to hit you at some point. And I just, walking in the street in Spain, and I just almost like having a heart attack. And then my anxiety started out of nowhere. And then that was my road of yeah. months pain and anxiety and then me and Vicky started talking and she obviously had that and knew how to deal with it I didn't and was mm. naive as a bloke and Do you th- I could just deal with anything that's, th- that's the question I was going to ask about the difference between, not the difference between men and women but maybe specifically how men are because I think we all know it, we're all sitting around here we all, cons- you know, we all consider ourselves men I'm Big, doing the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's the thing isn't it, that's, that's fundamentally I suppose what we're talking about here, we're talking about it in the context of two extraordinary horrendous experiences that you guys have gone through but the fundamental point here is that guys like us don't necessarily talk. And I think no. there'll be so many men that will listen to what you've just described there and think, well, if that was me, I'd have done the exact same thing. Mm, I'd yeah. have said, yeah. no, come on, we've got to get forward. I, I'm, I, my job here is to look after my wife because I'm the big strong man yeah. and you're yeah, the woman. No, you've been through this and I'll have yeah. to pull you through and then, and then we'll get back to normal life and on we go. Yeah. And actually, and there's so many guys who must have had the exact and same everyone, experience. And everyone deals with it differently. I mean, I went my way, but Niall obviously supported his wife. And and I and I couldn't support Vicky, mm. so it's not like every man, I suppose, does what I'd done or was going to do what I'd yeah. done. And and mm. Niall obviously supported his wife, but I, I was, I think I got quite a good network. Where I'd, it wasn't all about Vicky. People like, are you okay? But you do get a lot of people. And, and to be fair, when you see your your, your girlfriend or like Niall's wife give birth, and and it's just the afterbirth stuff, you know, their, their boobs are hurting because they're trying to produce milk. Yep. Yeah. There's a charity called Aching Arms, and I know why they call Aching Arms now, because Vicky's arms are aching to hold the baby, and I don't know if Fiona was the mm, same. Really? And you see that oh physical God, side. I mean, we go through the mental side. That's probably the only side we go through. Yeah. Physical and mental side of the woman, that's that's where it is tough. Really. I had no mm. idea. Physically, arms. you've got to look after yeah. him, because it is wow. horrible for him. Yeah, yeah same with Fiona was very similar. For kind of, as you say, you've given birth. And you've gone. Fiona's gone through that physical part, and that's where you're trying to support. Well, her, we've I got think, for nine the first months of, of your months. body preparing. Yeah, prepare exactly. To be a mum. Yeah. Exactly. And um, and if, uh, you know, it, Fiona, you you Google these things and say how, how do I look after it? And a lot of them were kind of things like, well, you might be in pain, this might be sore, but at least you can look into your baby's eyes, and that can re- make give you yeah. some relief. So there's a lot of those kind of things, which are obviously well-meaning, yeah. perfectly yeah. fine things to say, but then obviously, Vicky's and Fiona's situations are very different. Yeah. And I think, uh, luckily for me, personally, and it's, it's something I think, as a couple, we agreed that we said we need to get counselling as soon as we can. So we were quite forceful on that part, yeah. point. And it definitely, uh, yeah, and it, Bruce is very ni- kindly saying that I kind of handled it quite well, but I don't think I would have if I hadn't had that kind no. of counselling. And had that, re- within a week, we were already kind of doing that, that. And I think that was so helpful for us. What was your initial instinct in terms of, how how do I deal with this? Because I'm just trying, you know, I'm trying to put myself yeah. in a position which is is a bit glib because obviously you can't be in that position until you're there. You don't know what you're going to do. But it, what I'm presuming one of the first things that go through your mind is how am I going to deal with this? What do I need to do? What do yeah. I need to do to look after my wife? What, do yeah. I, what What was your initial instinct? Do you think? Well, I I think you for for both of us we basically just leaned on our families i think we just mm. kind of went in and it was just very small it was we've got both got relatively small families so just leaned on them and i think 
that they were just our support network mm. for those kind of you know I was on paternity leave so it was that kind of two weeks but then you're you know and it's something we've talked about af- afterwards Fiona just that well now now it's kind of gone back into the normal world he can kind of adjust a bit better but I've found that so hard to do yeah. going back into work colleagues they obviously have a general idea of the story because you're you know you have to tell your whatever HR departments and mm. all these kind yeah. of things what's gone on but it's a really hard thing to talk about and how do you raise it with someone that you work with yeah did you Is find you were problem? always trying to because whenever I talked about how I was feeling or even how I was acting so yeah. you know I smiled or I laughed yeah I was always like trying to explain or, or started feeling guilty. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, you're why still... am I doing it? You got to let them yeah. know why you're doing it because you should be sad. Yes, yeah. and you it's obviously you, you go through a lot of ups and downs, mm. and you always. I just found myself all the time trying to explain to people like if I was laughing, then you start thinking, oh, I should be laughing here because I'm gonna yeah. think like I don't really care. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah and, and I think so many things you're just trying to exactly. And, and I didn't go back to work, but I can imagine in the workplace, like, yeah. Niall it must have been very tough I to think act normal one bit of good counselling that we got was um, a counsellor just said to us there are going to be times and you have to allow it. you can be have a day where you're depressed that doesn't mean you've got depression you can have a day where you might be a bit more up but that doesn't mean that tomorrow doesn't you, you, you're, you're going to be in a much worse place so I think it was like on either side so it was like allow Fiona allow Niall to have those days where everything is you know where you're just struggling to get out of bed mm. and just there's tears and you don't know mm. why and you, you it's hard to explain but then there's other days as Bruce says where you feel normal and for a moment you for, you, you forget about your situation and yeah. you just have that kind of normal day-to-day life mm. and, and I say there that's is the a bit of guilt advice, to it sometimes like you said yeah. is you know if you know someone who's going through it and if they I found it hard to sit around and feel guilty sitting on the sofa because you're like no come on just get on with it but let yourself do that and yeah. for other for your friends and stuff or especially yeah. more family because I see you the most is just let them sit on the sofa do what they've got yeah. to do and yeah. no, it's just part of it presumably being as far I'm just taking myself back to when yeah. you know we we had our first and then the second um, presumably your house was packed with baby stuff it's well it's, it's quite interesting I don't we you know Actually, the year before, Fiona had had a miscarriage at 11 okay. weeks. So we'd, a, we'd had some uh, experience. Yeah, experience, and we'd also been a bit cautious. So we'd obviously things. gotten some pieces, but touch wood, and you know, it may, whether it was good or bad, we hadn't got the cot. I hadn't put a cot together. Okay. There were baby clothes there. Um, you, you might see in the documentary, there's a, there's a, a cupboard in it, and that's got all the kind yeah. of baby clothes in it but uh, from Matilda. But that was kind of, we were cautious and i think mm. uh, at least that was something that wasn't too bad at least you weren't going home to the nursery room or something yeah, like that yeah, where yeah. that would have been obviously would have made it even harder i think mm. do you know it sounds from what both of you guys have said it sounds like and again it's something i would never have considered when thinking about the subject that actually dealing with other people outside of your own relationship is almost the most difficult bit in an odd sort of way in that it sounds like the ideal scenario would be to be able to just lock down and okay we're going to figure this yeah. out between the two yeah. of us but actually you can't because you have to talk although, to family you have yeah. to talk to friends you have to talk to work although you Bruce have to- was saying that he struggled with Vicky's grief yes true um, so it sounds like there might be a bit of both yeah. there isn't a one fix there isn't a but it's all the practicalities of talking to people isn't it step of how to grieve or how your path is going to go 
when it comes to the trauma and the grief. Mm. There's no like, right, this is step one of dealing with it, this is step two of dealing mm. with it, this is what you've got to do on no. step yeah. three. And then, and then one through two, different. you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you just can't really but tell. But what comes through from both of you is once you start talking about it to a counsellor in your yeah. case and to each other and the yeah. counselling, that's where the process yeah. started to move. Yeah. Definitely for me, I think, you know, I, 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 say, I think Bruce, Bruce has kind of said it as well, that, yeah, without kind of having that, I don't think I would be where I am today mm. as far as, and be in the situation that we are today as well. Because we, we see <clears throat> in the documentary that you and Fiona fall pregnant again. Yes, yeah, so uh, that's kind of part of the documentary. Uh, Bruce's is kind of cover on the, you know, the terriblest part of stillbirth, but we're, our part is to obviously discuss what we've experienced, but then ideally show the kind of care that you can have in an, another pregnancy. So, uh, and this actually, the point where we met uh, the people who made the documentary was in Fiona's first scan with uh, that kind of uh, extra care. So mm-hmm. the idea, that part of that was to have uh, a clinic that would specialise in looking after uh, parents who've gone through a still additional birth, monitoring, additional monitoring, but also the idea of having a single person doing those scans because yes. apparently there's some research that says because there's different people doing different scans, sometimes it's like measuring bumps and like how big is your bump mm. and does that mean oh you're slightly small, slightly big? It's the idea of having more scans, but also having the um, the same person doing those well, scans. That's, yeah, that I mean, it, on, yeah. A, on a slightly unrelated un- <coughs> thing, it, you know, I use a doctor's surgery where you don't have a doctor. Yeah. You have a different person every time you go see. So if you're going back to repeat yeah. for something, mm-hmm. the person, you have to go through the whole story. Well, mm. that, and actually, that's a completely other part of it, yeah, is because you're in this clinic and uh, part of that, you don't have to go to an, a new midwife every time and explain you know sadly we've lost our first child yeah. you don't have to yeah. have those kind of discussions and then explain oh, it was they're long, flicking long. through your notes exactly oh, you know they yeah, oh, and they, yeah. it's not like because you know as we all know the nhs is very busy and a lot of times they'll the first time they'll see those notes is when you walk in the door yeah, yeah. but obviously if you've got in the, the clinic and that's kind of mm. part of what we, we go through is you get to see uh how we're handled and you know touch wood and it worked out very well for us that part of those kind of scans is that um dr uh, melissa found out after 35 weeks that there were some things that looked weren't as she was happy with so she actually gave fiona c-section at 35 weeks and obviously afterwards she kind of explains that she believes that if we hadn't gone through that process, we may have had a similar situation. Really? Mm. So we, mm. But everything's fine now. Yes. So great, uh, we've had uh, Emmy, who's just turned a year last Sunday, so the 7th. And Lovely. unbelievably, she's born the same day as her big sister. Really? One year after. Yeah, so the 7th of October is the both of their birthdays. That's yeah. unbelievable. So, yeah, as the year to the day. Has a sleep. Uh, <laughs> Touch wood, we've been very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Give it time. I hate you. She's, you know what? That, she's started to teeth, so I think that's oh, coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, coming. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy that really bit. It's coming home to roost. Um, the, do you know what? I hope this isn't too personal a question, but obviously if there's only a year gap, so were you guys trying again for a baby quite quite quickly afterwards? Yeah, I think we agreed, obviously, you know, if you do the maths, we yeah. agreed, agreed uh, that we were that was we still wanted to have a child mm. so that was kind of the first part you know you have these kind of discussions and decide that yes it's still something we want to do and i think we were lucky the first kind of month that we tried mm. uh fiona was pregnant so it was one of those kind of situations mm. that uh 
yeah, it happened probably quicker than we were expecting. Mm. Was uh, it quite an easy conversation in the sense for both of you? Was it, a, well, of course, we both still want kids or, or was it something that required some real thought? It, it was probably easier than you would think because obviously you don't know how you're going to handle this mm. kind of thing. So we were discussing it and yeah, it was only a couple of minutes. We said, I still think we want, both want to be parents. Yeah. We both still want to have children. We were aware that you know this might be more difficult for us. But, yeah, we're willing to give it a go. Mm. You mentioned in, in your story there about the point at which you met uh, met the guys behind the documentary. So yeah. I guess a question for both of you, really. what What is it that has been... Because obviously for a lot of people, this is the most intensely private, yeah. um, you know, kind of horrendous emotional experience you're going to go through. And I can imagine there'll be a lot of people listening who think, well, I wouldn't want to tell anybody, let alone... Yeah. Especially when you're it. unsure of the outcome yeah yeah exactly yeah. so what so what was the sort of motivation behind saying no i want to share my story i want to tell as many people as i can um well i think me, mine, we me and vicky obviously discussed it and obviously we we basically got told when we came in on the tuesday so we went on the monday we lost ruby and on the tuesday we'd come to the hospital and then my wife said look they're making a documentary about stillbirths is it something you'd like to get involved in just let us know, like, come back to us. And we talked about it. And Vicky was very angry straight away that she knew nothing about stillbirths, you know, like, what's going on? Like, even though almost, like, stillbirth was a thing, you know, you probably heard it in the background somewhere, but, you know, no knowledge over it. And she was like, I can't believe this has not been brought to my attention through pregnancy. And was like, you know, if something, like, you know, we need to try and do something about it. She's very positive and, and passionate about it. So... For us, I mean, I'm, I, I was always going to go through whatever was Vicky was most comfortable with. Because at the time, I was like, you know, you're going to give birth. I just want to make her feel comfortable. Mm. She's happy doing mm. it. And I'm more than happy to support her doing it. I was comfortable doing it. Um, and then, so from there, it was just a progression of... It wasn't... Well, I don't think... Because, obviously, we had the film girls... And when Vicky was giving birth, we knew, but... So like tactfully done that the cameras weren't in the room. Didn't really, I didn't know they were there, like through anything mm. really. And it was very from day one for us is that we just want to help other people. Yeah. It's the worst feeling we've ever been through in our life, and you know we don't want other people to feel this. You know you have to do something about it. And and for us, we were lucky and part of Ruby's legacy is mm. to you know be involved in this documentary and try and help other people not go through it or help people through the aftercare they've been through it or going to yeah. go through it and just so much positive stuff really and it really helped I think yeah. it really helped us or certainly helped me and helped Vicky it gave us a lot of things to focus towards because mm. when you've lost your baby you've just got nothing your dreams mm. and everything's gone so for me it was a good positive thing to focus on and have some sort of thing to like just concentrate on really uh, and it's really I find it really refreshing to hear you both talk about um, Ruby and Matilda and the, them as people yeah. uh, and to continue talking about them mm-hmm. and, and not let mm-hmm. it be something that's oh we don't talk about something happened yeah. Yeah. we don't talk about it yeah. it gets brushed away mm-hmm. and that must be the case in the past so often is um, something which is why we don't know anything about it is there something that it's a good point is it something that the councillors advised that you kind of you know I, I, I don't think they you know explicitly told us yeah, yeah talk about them but I think just you know as you start to process the grief you realise that you you want to remember them it's how we deal with um, yeah. uh, older relatives yeah 
and friends who mm. die, yeah. we don't stop talking about them, yeah, do we? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm lucky enough now that we've, we've got another, another daughter and she will know that she's got a big sister. And mm. we're lucky enough and it's one of the, another kind of reason that we did do- documentaries mm. that we've some memories for Emmy that she, we, she can talk about Matilda and mm. tell, tell her how special she was and all that was an, another kind of reason mm. that we did do the documentary and um, yeah I, probably I'm guided a little bit my wife my wife is amazing on that anybody asks and it's one of these questions when you have your child your, your firstborn or your uh, Emmy a lot of people ask is this your first child and you know obviously mm. that's a you know it's a natural thing that people will ask but uh, Fiona's you know completely open right from the start and say no unfortunately it's not we've it's their second we had a stillbirth and she's and it the well one of the main reasons fiona gives is that she doesn't want to be for you know not uh live up to matilda's name and make sure that people know about matilda but it also would feel wrong that we didn't tell people that that's part of our story yeah Mm. and if you don't i suspect if you don't give uh enough respect to still born children then people who choose which kind of medical research is going to be undertaken yeah. and and that kind of stuff will think well we're not going to research why yeah. babies are still born because they don't matter because we don't yeah. talk about them yeah of course they matter and the more i guess we talk about this kind of stuff the mm. more chance there is that that people look into why it happens yeah and, I think, and how I think a lot of people avoided. feel like you know, I mean, the more you talk to other people about it and, and research it is that people don't realise, you know, stillbirth babies and even miscarriages babies is, is still a little baby. And yeah. one thing Vicky says, you know, if, if one in 200 two-year-olds died, there'd be an mm. outcry about it. Yeah. So what's there's no different for a baby in the womb. Yeah. It's still alive, it's still breathing, it's still kicking. And I think people don't realise, mm. I think they don't have the perception of that baby is actually real until mm. it comes and gets I think that's it. so true. I, I, it actually I, is. It's, it's I, think back on, I think back on kind of my understanding of, of I suppose pregnancy babies whatever you want to whatever you want to call it um, from before the time my wife was pregnant so before I had any experience of this type of thing and I think I always had this idea in my head I don't know where it comes from I'm sure there's lots of other people do as well that a kind of baby starts at day zero yeah, when no, it no. arrives in I'll, the world I'm absolutely and actually and actually you know aside aside from the experiences you guys have gone through and, and, and the whole issue we're talking about here actually just just with my own son I can see that 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 we look back now at how he was in the womb and what midwives used to say about what he was like at 25 weeks yeah. and you realise and you recognise oh yeah that's what he's like now yeah, yeah, and yeah. actually it does and I, you know I think one of the things that I've learned as a parent of a you know, of what, what is still a very, who is still a very young child is that yeah they do have the, the the personality is there from a very very early stage and they are who they are from a very early stage um, and I think that's completely changed my mindset that you know it's not you don't press the clock on a, on a kid from the moment they arrive in the world they're, no, they're, no, they're no. a person before that as soon as they've got a heartbeat in my eyes that's, mm. it's, it's, it's a living child and, and I think it's it's taboo around the subject is why you know like you said you, you feel like you know people can't talk about it because they don't know how to approach you on the subject for a start so I think the more we let the whole you know country know that you know, it's all right. Like I, I want to talk about Ruby. Mm. You know, I know mm. she died three days ago, and I saw mates, but I was still a proud father and wanted to talk about her. But no one understands that or understood it, so people found it hard to mm. approach me about you know about talking about it. So then it all—it's like a knock-on effect, isn't it? And no one talks mm. about it, and then it's yeah. not a real thing because no one even talks about it. So the more we can 
talk about stillbirths and stuff yeah. and, it, it, and then it becomes more like for us the baby was like Ruby and Matilda was real and, and hopefully that will go on to other people and see mm. other stillbirths as real babies and mm. then that kicks to the how's it uh, the experience with you and Vicky affected your thoughts about being a father in the future um, I, I can't wait to be a father of mm. honest it's I think I was because I was been living in Yarna Man a lot and I was commuting back and forth wasn't through pregnancy lows with Vicky at the start um, I was I wasn't really because I wasn't with all the time I don't think I was it was really t- it was real that we were having a baby and I decided but it was a bit weird because I was away a lot so mm. I think next time I have a baby a, a, well hopefully if, if Vicky gets pregnant again then it will become even more real mm. and I, I'm just I, I can't wait to be a father now I know I've for 10 years I was always just wanted to be a father and just run around my kids and play <laughs> football or whatever and so I don't think it's affected at all Good. like I mean we didn't talk about having babies as soon as Nile and Fiona because obviously me and Vicky went our separate ways but actually when we came back together and you know found out that you know hopefully I won't do a runner again let's say that's, that's, not, that's not the right word but uh, then again we were very much you know let's let's try and start yeah. family again because we just want to give Ruby a sister or brother as well yeah yeah, yeah. So. Do you know one thing I did want to ask you guys both because we haven't really covered it, and I suppose it's such a big part of the experience. Because again, I'm trying to think of put myself in your positions. When when you were given the news, you know, there's no heartbeat, and you were given the the, the worst news you could get. Presumably, there was a part of you that wanted to know why, what's happened, yeah. like what what why. And, mm-hmm. and and again, I, I'm asking this from a place of complete ignorance because I don't have any understanding of stillbirth whatsoever. Is it one of those things where they just tell you this is a tragic accident, or can, do you actually get well, an you, explanation? You or? can, uh, and, and, and I, th- I think Bruce did as well. You do have, you can have a, an autopsy and everything like that. But I think the, part, the experience, I think fifty percent of the time, it's kind of not fully explainable. Right. There'll be a, kind of a couple of different factors. I think it's a lot of times it's placenta and the flow of blood between the placenta and the yeah. baby might have slowed down, um, and then the, that leads to baby starting to not grow as quickly yep. which then obviously leads to you know some other developmental mm. things so i think for us that was the case where I th- uh, which was similar to what happened to emmy and one of the reasons that they decided to do c-section a little early, earlier yeah. was because uh they started to see the blood flow was starting to change and i think ideally you want it to go in one direction but it was starting to slow down and it was so that was one of the things right. but it's a lot of times then as well the placenta will start to deteriorate so mm-hmm. I think there was, in, as far as Matilda's case, I think it was deteriorating of the placenta and then the blood not quite flowing as well as it did before. Right. But that's their best hypothesis uh, mm-hmm. based off yeah. what they've seen. But it's not uh, concrete, unfortunately. And that you know, it's another so reason why there's still a lot of unknowns and why mm-hmm. it's kind of, for the next pregnancy, it's best practice. But there's mm-hmm. not like definitive, right, if we do these things, we know we will deliver a healthy baby at the end. There's still, unfortunately, a lot of unknowns. I'm conscious that there might be people listening who the word placenta is not necessarily getting immediate recognition. Mm-hmm. It's basically a life support machine yes, that, exactly, that, that, exactly. that keeps a baby alive, that yeah. keeps the blood flow going, mm-hmm. uh, helps it breathe, every, every, basically everything, feeds, that, yes, that, feeds exactly. everything that it needs. It, it's, it's something that the woman grows to help exactly. with the baby. And if it yeah. starts to fail... 
then the knock that on can effect. Lead on, yeah. Yeah, it can exactly. lead on to a lot of Presumably, the, the sort of sl- the, the unknown factor here that you were describing there in terms of you know the fact that it can't always be explained. Yeah. That's presumably one of the again motivations for you guys wanting to talk so publicly oh, yeah, about yeah, this and yeah. help with research and you know push for for people because I suppose the theory is the more we can discuss this and the more people are actually going to come forward and discuss it the the prompting of that conversation can yeah. lead to, to ideally for us it's just to be more open and yeah it, it, these aren't the things you think about you know straight away after mm. you've gone through what you've gone through but having done the documentary and you know the things that we've seen from the other couples involved in it and you know the conversations we've had with uh, family and friends when we talk about the documentary i think it's definitely something that you get a lot of those oh i didn't really know that that was the case i didn't really understand that Mm. i think it's just ideally you know talking about it more is if that's the one thing that kind of comes out of it Mm. i don't think that would be a bad thing really Mm. and i i just felt you know you because the first time last i said earlier about the stillbirth you never heard of it it was Mm. just for me, I was a naive dad to start with and I just had so much anger and couldn't believe and I said to Vicky, well, what did they say at the last scan? Like, surely they must have picked mm. up something. She said, well, the last one at 20 weeks and that's it till 40 weeks. And I was yeah. like, I just knew nothing about pregnancy. I was, mm. And I was like, how's there not another scan? Like, it's, so, it's not 20 weeks without anything. And then you were... Uh, sorry, and, then, and yeah, so... The, and then I just... When they said like one in well, it happens to one in two hundred when you start doing research. It just made me more angry, and I was just like, mm. "How can it happen to one in two hundred babies yeah. in our mm. developed and country?" Okay, if it does happen to one, why is no one talking about it? Yeah, you know. And then yeah. so from then it, that that's where like I was like, that has to, something has to be done here. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, how many? I think uh, I mean, don't know if you know. Mm. I had a quick look before we start recording. I think it's like three thousand. I'm looking over in the corner. At the it's director. eleven a day or nine a day. Three thousand stillbirths in a year. Okay, so I think it's about nine or eleven a day. It's about six hundred thousand births. Anyway, I had a quick look on. Yeah. I think that's about right. But that's that's an extraordinary number of people, that, and that, you know, it's not just the babies themselves. It's an extraordinary number of couples and families and yeah. networks with of people. With the aftermath, are, yeah. You know, because I think if there's one thing that's come from the conversation we've had with you guys here. <laughs> It's, you know, the the aftermath, you know, this is not something that is a, it's it's a tragedy that that occurs to you, but this is not something that then just, do, you know, goes away over yeah. the course no. of time. It's something no. you have to no. live with and you yeah. have to process and you yeah. have to, you know. I think you we were very lucky to, to actually have cancelling or had the option to have cancelling mm. straight away because I've spoke to a few people um, who've been through like miscarriages and stillbirths now and, and haven't had it and I don't know how... I mean, I can't speak for them, but they've, what like, do you do they've with started it? to process it yeah. and how they've come through it. And So if and someone's this, listening to yeah. this, then in that case, and, and that they're going through something similar to which you guys have gone through, or they listen to this and later on something in the pregnancy, where I can see you're wearing a Petals shirt. Yeah, so Petals is a charity set up by Karen, who's, who is our counsellor in Cambridge. Um, she's She's got a few... Fingers open now. I think there's just opened one in Harlow, yep. one in Cambridge, I think one in Ipswich, and she's got quite a few cancers set up for the charity. Um, and she basically used to work for the hospital, and then they 
basically yep. said no no more care for people yep. going through we've been through and Karen's Cuts. outraged and yeah. and was like no this can't this she's obviously seen mm. people have gone through and how hard it is mm. and she set and her no, charity up from there no where did you, where did you go for your cancer? yeah so we uh, one yeah, it's obviously not in all hospitals there are not sure the statistics, but like there's a certain percentage of hospitals do provide it. So we were in UCH. Okay. Two in five. Some, okay. Care. So the, we were lucky enough to have mm. UCH were one of the ones who did that. Mm. And I think the uh, university college hospital, hospital yeah. in London. Yeah. So we, we uh, were as part of them and at part of the briefing process, they do, they do mm. offer it to you. And I guess at that point, you're not thinking about it, but it was, I think Fiona's dad at the time has said, if you can try and let's, try and get that as soon yeah. as possible because if we left it and then went home and then you're trying to organize mm. it but we you know i think it was definitely for us and i think bruce would agree it was one definitely one of the best things to kind of get yeah. and i would imagine knowing it's not in not all hospitals i, I, I would sort of interrupt but no, knowing good. knowing how the, the male mind often works you know there will be plenty of men out there who will feel awkward or or, or, would, or would find it difficult to go and accept counseling yeah oh, well no, i was definitely that man yeah. I mean Vicky went to see Karen a couple of times before I did and was like you know come on and I was like what was your... I'll, I'll see her then thinking I'll just go and see what it's about I don't need her yeah. Karen said I saw when you first walked in you just didn't think you needed me but then I left the room actually thinking you know what there's, there's more to this and then I thought just... so what was the thought bro I'm really interested in this because I think it's such a key part of everything that we talk about on the podcast is that male mentality because I've been there, you know. Yeah, I've yeah, yeah. not been through anything like you guys have, have sadly been through, but in terms of that attitude towards the idea of counselling, that idea, well, I'm a man, you know, I'm a man. Well, I, I think, firstly, like every man's different. Yeah, everyone's like my personality is different to Niall's. Mm. I deal with things differently to Niall um, and other 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 men. And my first reaction was just like, no, nah, I just deal with this how I'll probably do with all my problems you know just get on with it and just kind of like sort sort a way out to deal with it and just mm-hmm. but keep moving trauma forward and grief is just not a problem it's it's something massively more than just a problem to sort out it's actually an emotional mm. massive strong feeling that you need to, mm. to uh, try and get to grips with and understand otherwise I, I suppose without cancer I think I would just still be just getting on with mm-hmm. life and not actually let myself grieve for my daughter for a start because that mm. was the biggest advice Karen said I, I think for the second session I remember it vividly and she was like Bruce you just you, you have to let yourself go because mm. you know if it's at the funeral or at some point soon because in a few years time mm. you'll just come out the worst possible way and funnily enough I the florist we used for Ruby's funeral her, the, the lady done her flowers her brother went through it nine well, about seven years ago and she said it wasn't until her sister lost a daughter and the brother went to the funeral nine years later, that's when he started to grieve and mm. broke down and had a breakdown and just lost the plot over mm. his daughter nine years later. And so that's like an evident... Well, I think it's good that you guys are talking about it. Yeah, I think it's important to air subjects and I think I really appreciate you guys coming in and being so no, no, honest. No, no, thanks oh, for having us. Well, you know, something that's very personal, usually yeah, a very personal it's, thing. Yeah, and, and it's uh, admirable that you're, what you're doing here because, you know, you, you, don't, you don't need to put yourselves out there for this, but obviously the, the motivation behind it's fantastic and I think the more people can talk about mm. this sort of thing, the better. The last um, thing I just want to say is, mm-hmm. just from my experience, if, if you don't feel like you need a counsellor, mm. just, just give it. Go. Just go anyway. You might not need it. Yeah, you might <laughs> yeah. not need it, and yeah. you, you could deal with it yourself. But yeah. I thought I was the big strong man, and I really yeah. wasn't. And I recommend the documentary. 
Uh, the details, it's on That's... Thursday night. It's called Child of Mine, and it's on Channel Four. And presumably, it'll be on 10 all four. 10 p.m. Sorry, 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any corner. Channel Four person in the corner? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and presumably, it'll be on all four, will it? Afterwards, yeah. So, if you're listening to this, and this is you may be listening to this after it's already been out, so just get yourself online, get on, on, on all four, and check it out. Right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, if you have enjoyed the podcast, as usual, please go on iTunes and leave us a review. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and also email us if you want to talk about any of the things we've spoken about at firsttimedads at reachplc.com and we'll catch up with you next time. Yeah, thanks everybody. Cheers, bye. <laughs>